There's lots of companies who can thrive just by making their margin fine, but there's companies who endure. And I have signed on to be part of a durable corporation, not a company that hits the numbers every single quarter. That's the ground level. Be human is our number one core value. Getting it right is more important than being right. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, Lead the Team Nation. Welcome back to another great episode. Today, I have for you a doozy with my friend and mentor, Chris Brogan. That's right, Chris Brogan. Now, if you're one of the few people out there who have not heard of Chris, man, let me give you just a quick snippet. He is a leader leading the team in so many different ways, including his company, Owner Media, including his extremely popular newsletter that I'm going to recommend you in a second, including the excellent and very fun and engaging live TV show, video show, the back called the backpack show, by the way. And I mean, he's hosting people from wrestlers to magicians to NASCAR drivers, Broadway singers, but they're always answering, sort of focusing everything around what do people need to put in their backpack to succeed. And by the way, even more interestingly now, he is now um, over at Abfire, where he is chief of staff to the CEO, which we'll dive into a little bit. And then just to put the cherry on top, Chris is also a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author of 10 books and counting and a professional public speaker with over a thousand speeches delivered across 14 countries. And he even was so generous to write the forward to my book, The Quit Alternative. My gosh, Chris, thank you and welcome to joining us today on Lead the Team. How in the world can I live up to an intro like that, Ben Fanning? Oh, I had to tone it down a little bit. Because I don't want people to freak out. <laughs> I mean, You're very kind. I'm so glad to be here. I'm so man. so excited to be in front of your entire nation. Well, then, lead the team nation appreciates you for joining us. And let's, I tell you, let's dive in to love letters. Love letters. Okay. Um, I think there is a issue in the world where leaders are trying to really reach out to their teams, to their broader employee group, to suppliers, to customers. And a lot of times too, it's really polished, super polished interface. Maybe it's just like a, a PR group writes the, writes the communication or the video is really, really uh, kind of nice come out. Now you were blogging back in the 1990s and one of the top, y'all, one, he was one of the top bloggers, rated bloggers in the world. He, he and Seth Godin. And you come out with this raw newsletter that you've been sending out every Sunday ever since. And I've been getting, and then you launched a course for a while to help people and you called it love letters, right? Was that what it called? Love notes or. I had, I had one called love letters. I've, I've written, you know, variations on it, but yeah, that's one. Okay. It wasn't polished. It's not super fancy. There are no graphics. There's no branding. It's just an email from Chris. It just looks like you personally sent a note. And it's every, every every Sunday I get this thing. And it's like his voice is speaking. It sounds like Chris. Um, 
what's been the impact of you writing this newsletter for so many years? And uh, maybe we'll kind of riff on that for a second. Here's where, <laughs> here's, here's a funny thing, because one of the differences when you go this route, when you say, I'm just going to write like I'm a regular person talking to regular people, and I'm going to talk right from my belly, you know, you edit a little, you trim a little, but you know, when you, when you write from this way, you have to go in with a, a slightly less mechanized intent. You have to say, you know, I'm not looking for a specific yield. You have to say, I'm just, I'm, I'm planting as many seeds as I can plant. Hmm. And then I will go get what I can get out of this garden at some point. Now that's the trick. It It is so much, you know, let's keep with that. Let's keep with that whole uh, agricultural mindset for just one minute now. Yep. What is a commercial farm, but the optimized ability to turn the most amount of yield per acre on a farm, right? That's why you don't see rustic little barns out in the countryside up and down wavy hills and all that sort of thing. You see these yes. things that, you know, machines can roll over mm. and they can till and do everything. I mean, they're so mechanized that a farm can do with like three or four hands what it used to take 40 to do. And so um, that's great because you do have to feed everybody. It has to be bulk, right? But that's like, we all have gone to through the McDonald's drive through or, you know, at the airport somewhere, we've all, you know, snuck our little Burger King burger because we just didn't have time to get any other thing. But we're not like proud of it. We're not like, oh, man, I can't believe I had such delicious. <laughs> yeah, I'm not food. ringing the bell because I went to McDonald's today. Yeah. What hey, you, you know, you don't yeah. do that. Except but, for those Grimace shakes, which I didn't oh. have one, but. Um, but, but, but then there's food that, you know, some, okay. I went to uh, this, a friend had me over for lunch yesterday and I don't go to places and they don't usually have guests. And it was kind of that sort of a thing. Like we're mm. both pretty, you know, introverted, shy people. And he made me, and when I say this, it's going to sound so dumb. The best pasta salad I ever had in my life. Now I've never said that sentence ever. I probably never will again in my life, Ben Fanning, but <laughs> It's because he had done all these little details to it. It wasn't overdone. It wasn't like one of them kitchen sink kind of recipes where it's like everything's in it. But it was subtle. Now, he made me lobster roll. I'm from Maine. In my opinion, there are only two ways to eat lobster. Lobster with butter, maybe lobster with mayonnaise in a lobster roll. That's it, period. Have a nice day. You don't do fancy things. You don't put it in gnocchi. You don't like <laughs> sneak it around a steak. Mm -hmm. You say surf and turf, throw the turf away. I'm from Maine. We just eat the lobster. But it was perfect. And mm -hmm. it was cooked and made with love. And that's love letters. That's what you do. When you write to people, you write as if you're talking to someone you care about. You write as if you hope to give them something they can find useful. And then someday, this is the long, long answer to your question. Someday it yields because one way to lead the team is to say, I don't need anything from you. I just want to help you. I just want to give you something. And you mm -hmm. get something from it. it it's you don't <clears throat> If you don't expect to get something from it, you'll get a lot more. Mm. I just got to chill, my friend. All right. So listeners, audience, listen to Chris. I mean, this is a different way to approach your, your, your communications to your thousands of employees, right? You're not expecting what you would think about what you're expecting from your employees and just let loose on, on a communication without expectation and share something helpful to them 
meaningful to them. And it, you didn't say this, but I feel like it's part of the Chris Brogan message, something personal. You get pretty personal. I do. In some of these newsletters. I mean, it always crack up when you're like, I'm drinking this today. Like, and y'all, that's usually like tea or coffee. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, what are you drinking? And it's, are you, do you get a lot of personal responses back from your, oh, he, he's shaking his head. Yes. Yeah. I, I get, you know, anytime I send out a letter, I, I get from dozens to hundreds of responses and boy, that sure is a day to get to reply to hundreds of people, but they always what, reply to mine. I, I don't think I'm do. not special either. I always do. Well, I mean, you are special, but I also always <laughs> do. Because, you know, if someone's taking the effort to hit a reply on a newsletter, something that, you know, I'm pushing into their inbox, then I should feel like I should respond. Uh, with the thing about, I used to do every start of every newsletter with, hey, what are you drinking? And there was a, there was a tactical reason there. The idea was, if I wrote about something that you just couldn't re react to or couldn't relate to, wasn't in your wheelhouse, you didn't, you were nervous, you, you maybe you didn't have an opinion on artificial intelligence. Um, when I said something like, what are you drinking? You could at least hit reply and talk about that. So I was giving people a freebie mm -hmm. to get back to me. And I had one guy, I think he thought I was doing a survey because like every single week for several years, he would just write coffee and then hit send. And I was like, well, okay, well, I guess congratulations. And I would write him back every now and again. Well, Joe, that's good to know. What coffee do you drink? Maxwell House. That was it. Maybe share with us one of the more memorable responses that you that you had, and maybe something that that led to. I have a wonderful, wonderful person who reads my newsletter, and I read hers. Her name is Kara Lumen, and she, uh, at the time of this letter, which was oh six seven years ago. She said, I am 82 years old, and I just got put in one of those assisted living places. It's it's where I should be. I get it, but it's it's, it's not comfortable. I don't feel happy, uh, you know, because now she's she had to admit that she can't handle herself and has to, you know, have the help of others, which is a tough spot. And she yeah. says, and I don't know why I'm getting your newsletter. I think I really should just close up. I should just stop. Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, what am I doing? I mean, I, I'm in an assisted living home, and you know, eating pureed foods with a bunch of people who are, you know, not all that here. Oh, yeah. And I wrote her back and I, and I, I did a little research because she had said she did, you know, some work in the past and she, she'd done a lot of, she was sort of a um, very spiritual mentor, motivational person mm. from the spiritual side and all that. And wow. so I wrote her back and I said, I don't know what you're complaining about. I said, you've got another 30 years of work ahead of you. You got to keep going. You've got so many more things you've got to cover. You're not done. I said, I haven't heard you talk anything about what people are going to do in these multi generational settings. I haven't heard the ways that you can make that place better. What are you talking about? And she relaunched her newsletter and she got going and she got back on it because she said, Oh, you know what? You're right. What am I thinking? Mm. It's six or seven years later. I mean, she's heading towards 90, this woman. And she is cranking it out. She writes more wow. newsletters than I write. She makes them two or three times a week, and I only do one a week. And Kara Lumen, C-A-R-A-L-U-M-E-N. Go find her. She's just That's wonderful. cool. So that's one good memorable one. That's right off the top of my head. Yeah, no, that that's memorable and so personal and shows what one personalized newsletter can do to spark positivity and inspiration another person 
And the crazy part is you think about her and her newsletter. And so your one newsletter has really compounded into a positive effect across the globe, um, you know, based on what you're doing there. So it's so great to be the spark. And I just think about what you're saying. And I think that this could really trigger something different for a lot of CEOs out there because right. imagine if you're the CEO and you're running a couple thousand person company, you got a bunch of remote workers, they're isolated a lot of the day and they've never met the CEO. They just heard about the CEO. Uh, and all of a sudden they start getting these more personal notes, emails. And y'all, you know, Chris is saying letters, right? It's an email. But when you say it, you think of it as a letter, it just changes everything. And I think suddenly you're on the path to a, a, a mindset shift that can lead to something more positive. Let's get there uh, in corporate world for a minute because, yeah, you know, I, I know that's your crowd. I know that that's the people we're talking to. And that's, I mean, that's where I've been serving right now. The opportunity here, I mean, what's, what's a CEO's real role beyond trying to make the revenue numbers, trying to, you know, please either their investors or the street. What's, what's their job? Their job is to have built an executive team that can lead to give that executive team, the tools they can have to develop their senior leadership team and to give that senior leadership team, the tools they can have to develop their individual contributors and talent, right? So it's a whole system. And if you don't look at it that way, if you don't think about you're trying to build leaders at the front line, we are already kind of lost, right? Because mm. anytime you're looking for someone to run, they can either be a cog or they can be a leader. Everybody should be a leader at every single desk. If we don't make this work, Ben, what's, you know, the reason we have teams is so that we can extend our capabilities. And the reason teams do what they do is when they understand the intentions of the people around them. If you don't get real personal with that, if you don't say, listen, Sarah, I really respect what you're doing over there. I think we have to talk about what this means for the voice of the whole rest of the organization. Mm -hmm then, you know, how is Sarah going to feel like she's any part of anything, especially in a hybrid type world, right? You know, there's Zoom has announced a return to office. I you saw know? that. What that's the heck? That's, that's some people's air on fire there. What? Zoom? Oh, yeah. Who who basically saved the, saved the day during the early days of the pandemic and everybody's going remote. And now they're like, hey, our employees do need to have some in-person time. Totally true. Well, so what do you say to a leader who's like, well, well, Chris, yeah, your your love letters approach is sure is nice for, you know, a blogger and a business, but when we're running a ten thousand person company, uh, I, I don't think that's going to be very effective. Uh, what what do you say to them? I work in software. I work in B two B enterprise software. We serve more than the. 55 or so percent of the Fortune 500 has some of our apps installed in their stuff. So that's pretty, you know, big, super no name brand. Nobody knows our name. You know, we're, we'll, we'll change that over some time. But you, you know what I'm saying is like, this is an in the trenches kind of a business. The whole business has been predicated on relationship building, the whole thing. We went from a small company, we acquired over a span of years, we acquired 22 companies by the end of 2022. What? So we went, 22 companies. People. Yeah. I mean, that's big. I got there 150 people. We got up to, we're almost 800 now at the time of the, this recording. 
And we did it by my CEO knew these people from events and conferences and times that they'd hung out at certain places, meals that they had shared. And so every single time we made an acquisition, it was like, remember that time in 2008 at Atlas Camp where we were talking about what it would look like if we did blah? And and, and every single person signed because they, they knew and loved the CEO that I have. You can do these things at a big company. The thing is, a big company, if it's done well, is a company full of people who care at different uh, different spans of control, right? Mm-hmm. It's not, I mean, there's just, there's lots of companies who can thrive just by making their margin fine, but there's companies who endure. And I am signed on to be part of a durable corporation, not a company that hits the numbers every single quarter. That's the, that's the ground level. We set our board numbers. We we said to the board, we're going to give you this much. They said, great. We did it. We hit the number. That was the table stakes. That's the backstory. That's when you go to the restaurant that they actually have tables, chairs, and napkins for you. We we had to put a meal on that table, and that's done through relationships and connecting and making something mm-hmm. where a team knows. I mean, we we live by our core values. We share our message all the time internally. Not so that it's like you know a bunch of robots repeating something but so that people can see at every turn, oh, this is an execution of that thought. You know, be human is our number one core value. We push that in everywhere. Uh, um, getting it right is more important than being right. Mm. That's a super important core value, Ben, because that at every turn, what when we connect with people, we don't look for blame. We just look mm. for like, what's the way this is going to work out the best way? And we'll make adjustments oh. as we go. Yeah, that is so good. So thinking about a company who's not doing this today, okay. the leader's like, this is making me uncomfortable. Uh, hmm. How personal should a leader get? And, and or maybe before that, what's the starting point? Like we don't like right now we have a corporate blast that goes out every Friday. It has a bunch of just like random stories and how our company's making a bunch of money. But really, the CEO is like, hey, everything's not perfect. But I'm not really sure where to go with all this. Where should they start for improving, I'll say, their leadership communication? I love the question because you're right. You can't just you can't just slam this into a culture. Um, the first thing I always say to companies when they ask these sorts of questions is, do you want this culture or does it just sound good? Because, Ben, it, it's it's an investment. It, it's... Yeah. At every turn, you have to spend more calories doing it this way. Now, you could say it's just better, you know, to grind through. Um, one of the people that we brought into our executive leadership team was from kind of like the the dark Star Trek version of our version of this, this process. They acquired tons of companies, too. They acquired, they let everybody go. We acquired, we kept all the people. We kept almost every human we could possibly keep every time we do an acquisition. Hmm. So, you know, certain departments of ours got a little fatter than they needed to be, but it was a good way to do it because then we brought all that tribal wisdom from that old business. Um, So so do you want to do it, number one? Number two, if you say yes to that question, first thing I would start with, uh, this this is a real easy one, start with a town hall somewhere. Start with a virtual town hall or even in person if you can do it. Um, Get everybody on in a live communication setting. There's a vast difference between an email blast, even though I've lived and died by my newsletter for years. Mm-hmm. There's a vast difference when you see someone say something. 
you get a real difference. So you could say to them things that you maybe couldn't write sometimes. You could say, look, the numbers are great. We're doing fine with the numbers, but there's an economic headwind out there right now that's intense. And you've seen it. You've seen the people getting laid off at all these companies. And we do not want to lay people off. But we do have to get smarter. We do have to look at our numbers. We got to look at our people. We're going to have to slow down hiring, whatever your message is going to be. And if you tell them, like, with heart, this is where we got to go, they're going to be a lot more open to the to the big move. You know, they're going to understand mm-hmm. it at least or, or why you're doing it. There's no question more unanswered in business mm-hmm. than why. And... It's one of those awful things that just eats calories in our brain, right? Like, we're like, why am I even doing this? This is so crazy. It doesn't make sense. And all they have to know is one more puzzle piece. They don't need to know your full strategy. They don't have to get way past their skis on something. But if you say, look, we're planning some work in some other industries. We can't talk about that sort of thing right now. But if we don't do this setup work now, it's going to be so much harder to do it later. You know, and that sort of a thing that people just kind of go, all right, I get that. And you're going to say, like, I'll give you an example from my own company that I work at. We put in a whole bunch of the world's top best of class infrastructure type software, you know, uh, our new payroll system, a new uh, HRIS system, all this stuff, best name that you ever see out there, all those kind of, you know, solid ones. You know what hurts? Putting in new technology like that. Even if the old technology wasn't great, you knew what it did. We did a crap ton of it all at the same time, Ben. We had not done a great job of explaining right up front. We can mess up too. We did not do a great job of, look, there's two ways to do this. You make people hurt a lot over a couple of years of doing this, or you hurt them really hard in one quarter, and everyone goes, that really was awful. And then we'll all just remember it a year from now going, man, remember how awful that was? Then you're done. Yeah, and we just we picked that way. So mm. those like ripping the bandaid off. Conversations, We're doing it now. Those difficult conversations are so important. Chris, you you have the unique perspective of having worked with so many small businesses and equipping them with training and strategies, and you know when you're uh, with your owner media group, and now you're working in uh, a much more corporate entity. What do you think? are some of the key things that you advise and have advised small business owners that big business, big corporations need to learn most? It's a great question. And I used to be a lot more flippant about this answer until I'd gotten back behind the walls of a a corporation. Like it, it, I used to say, you know, like for instance, I'd say large scale B2B and small B2B is the same thing. You just have more people with more signatures, you know? That's still not untrue. It's still, it's still, you know, for everything in a larger company, there's more paperwork and more rigor. Mm-hmm. And and that's you can't you can't avoid that. And and the reason is because there's more eggs to break, there's more things that could fall down. You can't just make a decision without thinking about does it impact anybody else? I get it. When you're in a small business, I mean, a lot of the same sorts of things, I mean, the the benefits of a small business is you can approach them with this level of intimacy. You can know mm-hmm. all the but I'll tell you another thing that I learned from this transition. Because again, like I got there, there was 149 people. It was still kind of, you know, glue and ribbons here and there. And now we're heading towards like a, a real project enterprise. Like what does it really mean to be an enterprise? Most people either work at a small place 
that says maybe someday, or they work at a big place that used to be small, where no one's left that went through the misery part. And I can tell you, I am in the middle of the misery in the best of most exciting ways. Small business, I would say anything you could do to get yourself looking and acting like a big business in the mechanics of running a business, like have a great payroll system, have incredible information at your fingertips, Mm -hmm. you know, look at... Uh, look at data science way sooner than big com- uh, little companies ever think about that. And and, and it, that sounds so important, like when, you know, data science. But that just means look at your numbers and, and get really thoughtful about your numbers mm-hmm. and look at what numbers you don't know how to answer right now and try to find ways to answer those and bring that into the storytelling of your business sooner than later. Think about security sooner. So I, I think with um, with little businesses, we kind of think all the time we're robbing Peter to pay Paul, you know, oh man, I just got to do this today. I just got to, I just get this one through. I just got to get to this next pay cycle. Cause I don't think I can make the payroll for the 12 people I got on my team. I lived that for 16 or so years, 17 or so years. Mm-hmm. And it was hard. I mean, working just to make payroll several months, you know, that's not sustainable, yeah. you know? And I would say that, What I now come back with is, well, I really should have worked on the model a bit more. I really should have sat still for a minute and stopped just running like a chicken with my head cut off because it wasn't going to change, Ben. Like, like, oh, I'm being tortured. I think I'll be tortured for another several years. Like, you know, I'm the one torturing myself. I know, but just keep doing it. And (laughs) and like, that's just not how it should go. So I, I think we do have to get off the crazy wheel every now and again and really take a look at our business. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. In that response, you mentioned the word intimacy, the intimacy of a small mm-hmm. business. What are you doing to scale intimacy? That... To me, to me, you can't have scale in a bigger company. As your company grows and grows and grows, you can't have scale unless you train that in as, as soon as you humanly think about it. As soon as you start to say, it's really important to understand people's stories. Now, mm-hmm. there is not a leader of people alive who thinks, I really can't wait to hear this person's crappy home life or whatever. I really, you know, I can't wait to hear... Uh, just how many sick people are in their household or whatever, you know, you're just like, can you just do the thing I need you to do? Right. Like we all want robots. We really do. We just want to, you know, do the thing and then be happy. Just be a robot. Just be a robot. But like we, we don't get it that way. So, you know, I would sooner teach leaders how to learn about accommodation. I would sooner teach leaders how to not try to push square pegs into round holes. I would sooner get leaders who start to learn. We we have a course that we teach at the at the, uh, my company called Crucial Conversations about how to say some of the stuff you think you can't really say to somebody professionally, not weird. And and it's important, Ben, because I mean we have situations. I'll, uh, I'll pretend this one's made up. We have a situation where one of our mid-level boss guys is not fitting in with the whole rest of the culture. Wonderful mm-hmm. person, smart person, capable person. Happens from at a, every company. There's from an incredible, like they're, you look at their resume and you're like, oh my gosh, I wish I had five of this guy. 
not fitting in, just mm-hmm. not fitting in, just not ever like at the table acting like a normal person with everybody else. And it's not, we we went through like, is it shy? Is it like maybe a, you know, anxiety problem? Is it, you know, none of those things. It's a culture thing. This person believes, you know, he, they want robots. Mm-hmm. And so um, what do you do? Right. So that's where you start to get even more crazy things. But the, but the reason the problem happened that I almost forgot where I was going. The reason the problem happened, Ben, was that whether or not that person's leader had taken the crucial conversations conversation uh, uh, course, they forgot it, I'm sure, because all they had to say is, hey, look, we could have a talk right now. I'm going to give you some feedback. I don't know if you're even going to be up for hearing this, but I got to tell it to you. We're having a lot of people say that they just don't feel like you're part of this right now. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard for them to feel very motivated because you're kind of invisible. And when you do show up, you more or less just complain to everybody. Yeah. That's not really working for our team. We're not, ha- it's not a great situation. So we got to kind of find a way to resolve that, right? That's a tough conversation. You don't want to have to say that to somebody. But what do you think when I say that? You think it, you have to do it, right, Ben? Yeah. It's what I hear is identify the missing conversations. Because if if those like like a big feedback conversation, if that thing's missing, you can't scale into a senior company because people aren't getting the feedback they need to grow with the company and get on board with the culture. But we just live in a blindness of those conversations we don't want to have. By the way, this is like in family dynamics and relationship dynamics. But it's mm-hmm. as your Chris is shaking his head, y'all. It's like it compounds in a business atmosphere where there's so many people's careers at stake. I mean, it's a it's a big deal. It is. Yeah. And, and you know what? It's funny. You mentioned family dynamics and you meant it in the sense of actual family. But when I got to this place, one of the things they were, they were using the phrase family a lot in business. And I said, we got to get that out of the culture. And they were like, what are you talking about? It's nice to feel like a family business. I said, well, let me walk you through that one. Um, you don't fire family, even when you should. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of other things going on in that one. You know, sometimes you inherit family that you can't really deal with. And, you know, you can't just boot your uncle out of Thanksgiving because he says those weird racist things. Right. So there's like all these stuff that, you, you, you know, that family has yes. some, some pretty tricky connotations to it. Now, I'm not saying that like a per- I'm not anti-family. I'm saying that as a as a as a uh, metaphor inside of a corporation. It's just not the right layout. It's no. it's we're all here gathered. It's like a jam band more than it's a family. And and I don't like jam bands, but it, you know, it's it's a but, but that's what it is, right? You're improv or you're improvising improv, as a group. Right? We're coming together, we're making music, and some members get kicked out of the band eventually. Or they, or they leave to pursue a solo career. That's or right. Or they join a different band and they come back. So yeah, I like the band metaphor. I love music like you do. And so, uh, yeah, I can see, I can actually can see that working pretty well for companies to think of it less in the mindset of a family and more like a band that, that comes together. Well, you know, it, just to, just to beat that horse till it's really dead. Um, think about the way that works. If you're sort of collaborating with other people, right. You've, you've got it, you know, you got to play at the same tone, you get the same beat, you have to have harmony, right? Like there's, there's so much to it, but Again, companies, and I'm sure there's some really uncomfortable. You're going to lose a few subscribers on this episode, Ben. (laughs) We'll gain more. I mean, let's hope. But, you know, (laughs) I think if you are feeling uncomfortable at those thoughts, if you are feeling that there's something going on there, I think that's worth thinking about. 
Because you're like, why? Well, because I because I don't want it to be that way. Well, what do you? When did your wants become a business tool? Right? Like it's just not the way it works at any of the levels. And when a small business lives on wants, that's when it does the worst of its success. Right? Like if, if you follow every whim. Look, when my coworker uh, Rob Hatch, when I launched Owner Media in yep. several different versions, Rob's a great guy. Mm-hmm. He had to slow me down. Finally, he was like, "Look, I know you could do this, but let's talk through what does that look like." And that one different pause changed my whole business because I was chasing every fly ball I saw. Let's so let's talk about that for a second. You're well known for saying that leadership is options management. I think what do you mean? that there's two things that happen in a lot of people's lives. We either think we're out of options, we don't have any idea what to do next, or we have so many options that we get kind of like blinded by opportunity. We're like, oh my gosh, there's so many things I need to be doing right now. And so you do none because you just kind of sample them all. Hmm. It's like when you, you know, the first ever time you experience a buffet, especially if you're like a little kid and you go to a buffet, you fill your plate like you were never going to eat food again in this lifetime. And that's really not the whole Chris. Well, yeah, I do too. But like, you know, somebody somewhere, you know, probably does it sensibly (laughs) and picks out just a few things of each thing they want to eat. But with with leadership, one of the tricks is helping someone find an option that they didn't think they had. And another is let's sequence these things. That's the other secret to options management. I always say, let's sequence them, meaning which ones, you know, which one can you put a little time now and it'll start a slow burn so mm. that you can have more time to work the more immediate small things that, you know, that it's not David Allen's getting things done. David Allen's getting things done is, you know, if it's really little, just do it right now. It'll just take a couple minutes. You'll be fine. That blows my mind. And it is not exactly Stephen Covey's let's work on the big rocks over the small rocks, although mm-hmm. that's my favorite. I love um, it. It's in there in the middle somewhere. So you go, I'm going to work on these big rocks, but if I start this thing going, like if I get a subordinate or a team member to go and take on this part of this project, I know that I can come back in about a week and get what I need from that person. Then I can work on this thing that's more, that needs my time more. You follow me? So sequencing the options is just as important too. And my friends, it's the Chris Brogan MBA program right there. Chris Brogan. MBA options management. And and it's, it's so important to think from this perspective because you got to play a longer game and in business, you're playing a longer game because you're not, you're probably trying to grow. You're trying to be a different company than you are now, something different and even better and greater in the future. And unless you have a few slow burners in there, like Chris is talking about, you're missing opportunity. They could be on the hamster wheel doing the same thing this time next year, man. All right. So Chris, we don't have much time left, but I've probably literally got 10 more questions. And I'm trying to think where to take this. We, we can't get out of here without talking about your three words. Uh, because I mean, first of all, that thing is huge. I mean, you got people around the globe coming up and publicly announcing their three words every single year. Where did this idea come from? How are you using it? How do leaders need to think about it? So in 2006, I started a process that I called my three words. And I just put hashtag my three words, the number three, just so you go find it somewhere on the web. 
um, the idea was the, someone somewhere had written a post about this is my one word I'm going to focus on for the whole year. And I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty intense. Like, you know, you can't just focus on a one thing very often. And that mindset permeates every part of my life, often for good and for bad. Um, I, I never think one thing is the only thing. And it's, it's tricky. So I came up with the idea, why not three? Because if you had three, you could sort of triangulate. You know, you got length, you got height, you've got depth. You know, I started thinking, why can't I have some sort of a, a set of lighthouses so that I know where I'm going? And so there was a navigation concept in this, my three words. And I figured maybe I could find three words that I could use to remind myself, how do I carry myself throughout the year? What things are important to me? And, and this is this is where people get their three words kind of wrong a lot of times. I hate to you know, past judgment, but it's kind of accurate from my experience. If the three words help guide me in situations. So if I'm sitting in a spot and I'm like, hmm, someone comes to me and says, hey, Chris, you want to get on, a, you want to have your own TV show, like a real TV show? I, I, oh my gosh, that's so exciting. It's so flattering. I would love to be on a TV show. I go to my three words and I say, hmm, my three words say that that is probably not a good use of my time, even though I am so flattered. And and that's what I wanted. I wanted something mm -hmm. where the words could help me spiritually, professionally, in personal challenges, that sort of a thing. So every three, every year I make three new words. Anytime I've varied that process, I've done it wrong. I did a four words year, terrible year, didn't go well. I, you know, I'm blaming the words, but it could be anything. But the first three in 2006 were simple as simple could be. Ask, do. And share. So I was asking for anything. I was asking people for help. I was asking people, hey, how do you do that thing that you do? Or I'd ask people, hey, I don't really know where I'm doing. By the way, super secret power to go with this whole life of mine. Admit your ignorance as often as you can and be okay with it. You know, I'll go to anybody. I'll be like, I don't, you know, you mentioned this word. I don't even know what that word means. Can you walk me through mm -hmm. what this is about? Never hurt me ever. No one has ever said to me, wow, I've lost all my faith in you because you didn't know that. You know, they always just feel like, oh, I'd love to help you out. It makes them feel better. So yeah. ask, do, and share. And the share part, I was blogging and communicating and doing all kinds of interaction. It was like super great year for me. I had so many new people find me. I got all the fame in the world, you know, in the internet anyway, because of that year in 2006. Mm. Um, this year, just to bring it to modern times, I did master as in master the things I'm trying to do better at. Like well, I was telling you uh, real quick in our uh, quick hello before you hit record, which is only two sentences long. Um, nope, you didn't miss anything, Nation. Um, I asked, I, I was saying to you that I think it's better to be more prepared. Well, master is me thinking about the preparation I should do. Mm. Second one is pleasure. I have an awful habit of like, if I go on a business trip and it's like, I got to be in Barcelona or something, I'll be there for two days and I'll leave. Well, take another couple of days. Enjoy the pleasure. Nice. Get some yeah. of that nice tapas in there, you know? And then the third is gather. And gather for me this year is gather the people around me that matter to me. Make sure I have conversations with Ben Fanning. Make sure that I get out there and connect with people. Gather the smart minds to me. Because if we just wait for life to connect, mm. you know, it just does what it's going to do. So those are my three words for this year. Oh, man. Y'all, consider this. Consider this practice. I think that, you know, it's, I was Googling this, my research beforehand, just to see the impact. 
And I mean, 2023, people around the globe are putting it out on LinkedIn. They're and and you know, and they're crediting Chris for you know for your for this. And I think having the simplicity, having the framework, and leaders got to think about this, right? Because sometimes less is more. It, it gives you constraints to operate within. And I feel darn lucky that you have gather as a word because that may have been why you said yes to coming on lead the team. <laughs> Cause you're like, I'm going to gather with Ben today, Chris, what's your parting thought for our listeners? My parting thought for your listeners. I, I love questions like this. They're obviously so mutable. You could do anything with them. Um, I, my thought is to just try more things and fail more often. That's actually how I got the job I got with my CEO. Um, he said, I really need you to come in and teach these people how to fail. They're, they're awful at it. Like they're not taking any, uh, they're not taking any uh, risks. <laughs> they're, they're not recovering very fast. They're, they're like sitting around grumbling about their failure. He said, can you come in and show my guys how to fail better? Mm. I said, I'm your, I'm your man. I'm great at failing. He goes, I know. That's how I got the job. I love that. And that is a great, that's a great lesson from your background as an entrepreneur and helping other entrepreneurs. You've seen the power of that. Um, and you share a lot of that and have shared a lot of that in your newsletter, you know, bringing it full circle. Um, anyway, thank Chris, you, thank, thanks for coming on today, my friend. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. It was a real fun time. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of The Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.